Hey friend, thanks for coming back. Always so glad to have people listening. So you may have thought that this week was going to be Psalm 71, part three, but it's not, surprise. Actually, I went back and looked at the end of Psalm 71, the last um, six or seven verses that I didn't cover, and it was just kind of saying the same thing that I'd said before, so I thought, nobody wants to hear me repeat myself, so I'll just be done. Um, it is still a great psalm, of course, but it's also a great psalm to pray over the situations in the world today that, um, you know, are troubling. So I encourage you, and I am still praying Psalm 71, the whole thing, even though I didn't cover the last few verses. But clearly from my title, I am moving on today to a different topic, a topic I have been wanting to talk about for quite a while. In fact, I talked to my daughters and son about this topic in regards to starting my podcast and just have never gotten around to it. So here we are today talking about purity culture. Have you heard of this? If you have never heard of purity culture, be glad, seriously. <laughs> but even if you haven't heard of it, I think it has really permeated Christianese language and Christian culture. So I want to talk about it today. Now, of course, we all know purity is a good thing. Abstinence before marriage is a good thing. So what's wrong with encouraging purity? Well, keep listening. I don't have much of an intro today because I have a lot to say on this topic. Thanks for joining me. Today we might be talking more about how man has messed things up than how great God is. But ultimately, I hope you'll still be reminded today, maybe even more reminded today, that God's ways truly are good. Let's dive into this tricky topic. Okay, so purity culture, what is it? Well, this phenomena of purity culture has influenced a generation of Christians and affected the way we talk about a lot of things and even think about a lot of things, specifically how we talk about modesty, dating, men and women, and sex. I found out, I did a little research, and I found out this whole movement, I guess you could say, started in the late 80s and really ramped up in the late 90s slash early 2000s as a response this is interesting it was a response to the whole free love mantra of the 60s and 70s so there was this good intention great intention to bring youth back in line with christian values and away from this like you know sleep with whoever you want free love as as i always referred to the 60s so that all sounds good but like a lot of things, the pendulum swung too far in the other direction. Uh, you might be familiar with the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye by Joshua Harris. I looked it up. That came out in 1997. So it was not the beginning of the movement by any means, but it definitely propelled it forward as that became a very, very popular book. But like I said, there have been negative consequences to this good-intentioned biblical teaching. Here are some of the results. Purity culture has made some men feel like they can't go to the beach ever. Purity culture has made some girls stop going to church. And purity culture, unfortunately, has made many people walk away from their faith 
including, sadly, the author of that book I just mentioned. Other than the author, I know personally people who this has been true for, each of those scenarios. So it's been damaging. When damage is done, the first step to healing is to identify the hurt. You may have been taught this stuff yourself and internalized it. You may have been subject to it and rejected it, and you even may still be hearing it today. So first, I just want to say, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Humans aren't perfect, and I'm afraid we're going to go on hurting each other and not getting it right for a very long time. My kids heard this stuff, and what I want to do today is share the way we talked about it in our home. So when my kids were teenagers and even preteen, they heard this kind of um, teaching, really, and we would sort of, that we would then go home and discuss it and basically correct what I didn't agree with, or I would say, well, hold on, this is how I view it, um, and this is what the Bible says. So if you never heard this stuff, if you grew up with this kind of influence, if you grew up in the church and were told this stuff, this is for you. This is what I wish you had heard as a teenager and maybe need to hear now. And if you need to have these discussions with your kids, this is for you. Let's not perpetuate those messages. If purity culture has affected your marriage or even your search for a spouse, this is for you. And if you have been hurt and walked away from the church because of the judgmental things people have said to you, this is especially for you. Okay, so let's get into it. As the title of this episode says, Modest is Hottest. This was a real saying, and everything about it is wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Other wrong sayings that were very popular then, or wrong um, expressions, I guess you'd say. Here's a really common one. Dress modestly so that you don't cause your brother to stumble. This is wrong. This should not be said to girls or women. It is not the purpose or the motivation for modesty. And I'm actually going to talk about modesty, probably what modesty should be in the next episode, maybe. No commitment there, but I'm going to get to that eventually. I'm not going to talk about that today, but this is not the motivation for modesty. Here's another one. Having a crush on someone as a, as a teen or whatever is lust and is a sin. It is not a sin to have a crush on someone. Here's another one. Never express interest in the opposite sex until you are old enough to get married. Now, while I think that dating should be about getting, you know, the potential to get married, um, there's more to it than that. This is too simplified. And, you know, as I'm going to talk about, the whole thing became so legalistic. But anyway, uh, and here's one final, what I consider bad thought from purity culture that is said over and over. Men can't, can't, men can't control their physical desires, so it's up to women. This was a message that purity culture perpetuated, that men are completely like they're animals. They can't control their physical desires, so it's up to women. No, they didn't say they were animals, but this is what was implied. Also wrong. So there were a lot of things, um, I could go on and on, there were a lot of things that were in this teaching, which again, the good intention was to encourage abstinence, um, to encourage sexual purity outside of marriage. But 
all of these teachings have resulted in some really negative, harmful things. And it's just so sad to me. So let's look at a few of these things that have come from all this teaching. First one that I have personally experienced and seen is increased judgment. The, the whole purity culture movement has made it acceptable to judge each other. And that's not okay, obviously. It has also resulted in the objectification of women, an overemphasis on sex, being ashamed of our bodies, and being ashamed of sex, making it like, you know, this, oh no, we should never talk about that. But for today, I'm just going to focus on the first one, because I think this that I mentioned, the first one I mentioned, which was the increased judgment, because I think this applies to everyone, even if you feel like you haven't been influenced by purity culture. But basically, what I have seen personally is this judgment of moral character based on clothing choices. And that's just terrible. Confronting people who dress differently than we do is judgment. And think about it for a second. Could anything be more legalistic than assessing someone's moral character or even their Christian faith based on their clothing? It's terrible. Now, I know what you're thinking, you know, I'm not judging anyone's moral character. I just want to tell that young girl that spaghetti straps aren't appropriate at church. Well, you know what? That's how it's perceived. It's received as judging their moral character. And it is a judgment. You're deciding what's appropriate and what's not. Now, are some things appropriate, church, versus, you know, what, what you're wearing? Sure. But like I said, I'm going to get into that another time. This time, I just want to think about how the whole purity culture movement in encouraging women to confront other women with their clothing choices has encouraged judgment and a critical spirit. And even if it's not about clothing choices, it's a great topic to just pause and ponder, as I would always say, that the Bible says, judge not. It literally says, judge not. And I think it's... I don't know, a human, a human nature thing that we are prone in our flesh to judge each other, to compare, to be critical. And I guess it makes, you know, it, if you look at the, I guess, psychology of it, it makes us feel good to put others down, which is terrible. And the Bible says, don't do it. It's in Matthew 7, judge not. Here's what it actually says. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And here's the very familiar passage, one of the ones that my father read to me more than any other. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know what? During this the height of this whole purity culture phenomena, one of my kids came home and told me they had actually been taught that this passage passage does not mean don't judge, that it's good to judge. It's always discernment. Well, you know what? Sometimes it's just judgment. It's a critical spirit. When we judge a person based on their clothing or just reduce them to what they are wearing, we're objectifying them. That's sort of like the definition of it. There are so many reasons they might be dressed that way that we know nothing about. And the world 
is the one that looks at appearances and makes a judgment. We are supposed to be different. We, Christians, are supposed to look at the heart. Let's look past that low-cut shirt or whatever, the piercings, the tattoos, whatever the, the in thing is right now, whatever shocks you, and let's look at and speak to the heart. Let's recognize our own planks, our own sin of a critical spirit, of pride, of thinking my way is the right way, and let's shut our mouths while we deal with our own sin. Repent and ask God to give us eyes to see what he sees. Isn't that a great prayer? Lord, give me eyes to see what you see as I walk into church or as I go up and talk to these new people. And most of all, I think we just need to get out of God's way. Get out of God's way. Do I really think the Holy Spirit can work on their heart and speak to them about changing things in their life? Or do we think I have to be involved? Why not let God deal with it in his own way? If I have to do something, I should pray. I mean, really, pray. Pray that God will speak to their heart, that they'll grow in maturity and in, um, you know, feel more comfortable dressing in a way that is appropriate. But who decides what's appropriate anyway? How should we treat people who define appropriate clothing differently than we do? Well, I think the Bible actually speaks to this. Because appropriate clothing is, think about it for a second, appropriate clothing changes over time. You know, what was appropriate to wear 100 years ago is not really what we would define as appropriate now. And it's constantly changing. And that's why I think older people have trouble with younger people, you know, uh, for the most part, although it's not always generational, because what is appropriate changes. But the Bible actually talks about this about these areas of life that are more, you know, gray, I guess you'd say. And guess what it says? It says again, don't judge. So here's Romans 14, verses 1 through 4. Receive, or other versions say, accept. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. And another version says, do it without quarreling. For one believes that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. So that was the thing they were disputing. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. So of course, you probably know this passage uh, that Paul wrote to the Romans was about eating food that was sacrificed to idols. And that was their you know, their issue that people didn't agree on. Some people thought it was okay to buy it from the market. They're like, I'm not sacrificing to idols, so who cares? And other people thought it was not okay. So it was an issue of debate. And really, what is appropriate clothing is an issue of debate amongst Christians. Guess what the next verse says? Who are you to judge another servant? As in God's servant. Who are you to judge a child of God? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. So that's Romans 14, 1 through 4. And a different version of it, I think it's the NIV, says, The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt. I like that phrase, the one who does not. We are not to treat with contempt those who choose to dress differently 
than we do. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. So both sides of this. If people have different ideals of what is appropriate clothing, we are not to treat them with contempt or judge them. For God has accepted them. And then Romans 14 goes on to say in verse 12, So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore let us not judge one another any more, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. But hold on a second there. The stumbling block is not the inappropriate dress, okay? This is not, don't wear that shirt because you're going to cause your brother to stumble. That That's completely missed taking this out of context. The stumbling block is causing someone to judge. Of course, judge not applies to more than clothing and modesty. There are so many ways for us to judge each other and be critical. And maybe today the clothing modesty thing is not where you're at. Maybe it's something else that God is trying to remind you. Hey, judge not lest you be judged. Whatever it might be, we need to remember, I need to remember, don't try to be the Holy Spirit to someone else. You could really hurt someone. And most of all, we need to be humble. Humility is a sign of maturity, of Christian maturity. Now, I'm not saying, I, and please hear me, I am not saying we accept sin as not sin, that we go into like this super tolerate everything mode. We don't want to swing the pendulum too far the other way. What I am saying is let's look at the heart. That's the key. Have I taken the time to get to know this person? Have I listened to what they're saying? I don't think it's appropriate to hold someone accountable if I wouldn't even sit down and have a cup of coffee with them. Accountability has to be earned in relationship. And it needs to be given with humility. Am I ready for it to be reciprocal? Am I teachable? I think even when you're the parent and you're talking to your kids, it needs to be with humility. Love in acceptance and welcome must come first before accountability. You know, so often the world looks at Christians and thinks of us as being judgmental and critical and hypocrites. And you know what? Often they're not wrong. Now, is sin sin? And should we call sin sin? Of course. But Jesus called us to love. Jesus was accused of hanging out with sinners, hanging out with them, eating with them, loving them. We would do well for the same to be said about us. What should we say about modesty? How do we teach our, our kids to think about this? And how should we think about it ourselves? Well, I think I'll tackle that next week. Until then, I hope you will let the Lord speak to your heart about this scripture, this scripture that says, Judge not. Judge not lest you be judged. And accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Thanks for listening, and I pray that the Holy Spirit will fill each of us with love 
and grow us in humility that we might shine the light of Christ all the brighter. Till next time.